is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Hello, very good afternoon to you. On today's show, cotton is set to become Australia's third most valuable export commodity after wheat and beef. And one meeting between Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and the Chinese President, and there is real hope the trade relationship is back on track. I would imagine slowly we've already seen a relaxing of some of the boycotts, but that will just unravel now that Xi Jinping has met Anthony Albanese at the summit. China's just going to slowly ease out of that position that they had, you know, without losing face and without being seen as a back down, just slightly normalised relations. More on that just before news headlines at half past 12 today. Six past 12 here on the Country Hour. And some farmers in the Esperance region, about 700 kilometres southeast of Perth, may have almost lost entire canola paddocks in a hailstorm that ripped through on Friday afternoon. Michael Hart farms at Dalyup, just west of Esperance, and says he's never seen or heard a storm like it. That's the first time it's ever happened, and I know it happens to lots of people all the time. Like Probably somebody in your district every year gets hit with a hailstorm. I've heard about people having 100% losses, but I've never never experienced it, even on one a paddock basis. So you're expecting it to be a 100% loss for I, certain crops? I have two fields that I'm pretty sure my son's going to put the harvester into the paddock um, this morning and do an up and back and see if there's any grain out there. I can, I can find single pods on canola crops. And I can't find, you know, areas where there's, you know, low percentage loss in that way. It gets better the further it goes east. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, Michael. Can you describe the hail as it came through then? Well, we were working in the sheep yards at the time and there was a big black storm that was coming and, and I uh, got my boys to take cover and we're in a tin shed and the first sheet of hail came through. They're little fingernail size, but enough to get, uh, oh, I don't know, 10, 20% cover on the ground. And it was deafening in the shed. <laughs> it was deafening. And what was yeah. going through your mind at the time? Did your heart sink? Were you sort of frustrated or just accepting it as out of uh, your control? I, I look at those things and I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is that uh, you have your plans rearranged. Like it, you, you had these ideas and, you know, we're foolish enough as people to actually keep on planning our world when God's in control of all that. So let's not stress. <laughs> and... Um, it's, it's all the things you thought you were going to do that year that you actually have to rearrange in your life. In a video you tweeted, you wrote uh, a caption a saying a million dollars in a minute. I mean, so this is going to really hurt your back pocket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, we don't know ultimately. And, you know, what I do know is my crops are a little bit underinsured, like both in price and, and yield. Like if you put conservative yields on it because, you know, you don't want to – the premiums are quite expensive, so you don't go and boast to your uh, to your insurance agent. So they're – you know, look, look we're, we're, in a, we're growing some fantastic crops, like probably some of the best crops I've ever grown. And so I might be half a tonne under and $200 a tonne behind in the price since the price has increased. Now I have the choice to, to increase those premiums and had thought about it, but we're not here – with an insurance proposition, you're not here to uh, – to make the profit you were going to make, you're here to stop yourself from going broke yeah. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you didn't have it. So so that, that part of it, you can't look at that and worry about it too much because I'll, I'll still be here next year. You know, This is probably the 
largest single loss I've had in a moment, but uh, we should, we'll, we'll, it's not going to stop us. My fingers are crossed for you, Michael. Do you just have any sort of final reflections on the past month or so? It's obviously been very wet, and now, unfortunately, this hailstorm has come through where you are. It's certainly been a strange time. Yeah. Look, I, um, I'm, I'm 51 years old. Back in the day before we had canola, we had uh, mostly barley and wheat. Now, November, historically, in Esperance, we got harvest, usually get harvesting on the 1st of November in barley, and... Uh, then you sit around for the next two weeks waiting for the weather to come good. Now, I, I don't consider it to be that unusual. Like, they might, We might have had a bit more rain than usual, but uh, they do call it the Esperance Equaliser. Like we, we have it, and yet we're probably, because of it, we're less fearful of it. Esperance farms are renowned for having no tops on their silos because we're not scared of the rain, but we get it. We get the rain. It's not that unusual, and, and a hailstorm is perhaps something you only occur that only occurs... Um, once in a generation or even a couple of generations. I don't think my dad ever got uh, hit by um, a hailstorm this bad. So you think um, you'll bounce back? I, yeah, 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 yeah. And I know other farmers who've done it and bounced back. I feel sorry for people who haven't had insurance, who, who, who didn't have insurance, but that's a choice we make and they take the profit in the meantime that they, that they, of the lack of the cost because it is a significant cost to our business. Yes, I guess you're assessing the the full extent of the damage today and tomorrow? Yeah, well, my son will put a drone up and we'll have a look. We, I've always, we're already looking at the bottom of um, the property that got hit the worst. The south end of it isn't as bad as the as the north end. And the further it goes to the uh, to the west, I've got another property to the, sorry, to the east, the damage decreases down there, but it's still, it's still present. Michael Hart speaking to Hayden Smith about the damage to his crops from Friday night's hailstorm. He farms at Dalyup, which is not far west of Esperance, just near WA's south coast. And after doing some initial harvest tests today, Michael thinks that in the affected paddocks, about 80% of the canola has been wiped out. And he knows some neighbouring properties that have also suffered similar crop losses as a result of that hailstorm. 11 past 12 here on the Country Hour and sticking with grains because as the harvest cranks up, Western Australian grain growers are being urged to consider donating to Grain for Ukraine. Uh, This is a campaign designed to help those affected by the ongoing war in Ukraine. Russian and Ukrainian farmers are normally responsible for almost a third of the world's wheat exports. And as you know, any conflict in that area, any disruption to grain exports is going to have an impact on grain prices. The Grain for Ukraine campaign was launched in April by Grain Producers Australia and Cunderdon farmer David Fullwood is involved in it. Yeah, we're looking at a a real humanitarian approach. So we're just looking at getting in on the ground in Ukraine with helping people that have been affected in some way. They've either had their areas damaged by the war directly or they've had to pack up and leave their village or their town because of the war so we're really looking at trying to get some help at the ground level a few people on our committee have spent some time in ukraine and i guess we've sort of understood a little bit how they live over there and ukraine has some big cities where people go to the supermarket and buy their food like we typically would but they also have a lot of small villages and small towns where People are fairly self-sufficient. You know, they typically grow grow a lot of their own fresh food over their summer 
um, in spring and then they'll, they'll prepare that for winter and they'll preserve it and store it away and get themselves through their very cold winters with that food supply. So if they've been interrupted over the last, well, since February in that process, then there could be a lot of people that don't have enough food stored away. So they'll be looking for help uh, in those small villages and small towns because they can't just go go down to the, the nearest supermarket. Um, in, a, in a lot of situations, they can't get there or there's physically not a supermarket there to buy food typically. So, yeah, so that's our approach. We really want to help people out in those regional areas. A lot of them are farmers. A lot of them work on nearby farms. You know, farming, agriculture is a massive industry in Ukraine and it's and employs a huge number of people. And, and a lot of those people, I guess, we just feel are, are fellow farmers and, and people in ag like ourselves. Since the campaign has been launched earlier this year, there's been flooding on the East Coast and the season across Australia is possibly not what was expected when grain prices were really high at the start of this year. Are you still hoping for lots of grain and lots of donations? Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's still, um, despite our massive challenges in Australia, um, it's still going to be a huge, if not record, year for a lot of areas. Lucinda, I know... Um, I know there's some massive challenges, whether it's, like you said, the flooding or even physically getting grain delivered and then even the next challenge of getting it sold. So we're not without our, our own challenges, but, you know, I guess put it into perspective and think of think of those people in Ukraine and, and it's just beyond belief how their lives have been interrupted. So, there's, yeah, there's always people out there that, that will benefit greatly from, you know, a small generous donation of a tonne or a few tonnes of grain from uh, Australian farmers. It's been reported recently that Andrew Forrest's philanthropic organisation, the Tatarang Group, is going to invest almost three quarters of a billion dollars in Ukraine's private sector for post-war recovery. Are you pleased to see big businesses stepping up to aid Ukraine as well? Yeah, look, I think it's it's great that, I mean, the Western world in general is in there, uh, are right behind Ukraine and making sure that um, that they recover and yeah, this is just another example of, of you know people being aware of what's happening in Ukraine. Ukraine was probably relatively unknown to a lot of people, especially people outside of AG, until February this year. So um, yeah, it's great to see that awareness, and it's great to see people rallying together, whether it's big business or or farmers donating a truckload or half a truckload or whatever they can generously donate so yeah look it's all all a worthy cause in the um, for the right means with the right target. Cunderdon grain producer David Fullwood speaking to Lucinda Jose about the Grain for Ukraine campaign. If you do want to make a donation you can do so on the CBH load net system and when you search for the charity name you do look need to look for Grain Producers Australia because that's the body coordinating the appeal and then you can nominate a load or tonnes from a load of grain. 16 past 12. And the Australian cotton industry has broken export records with cotton now forecast to become Australia's third most valuable export commodity behind wheat and beef. Official figures from the government's commodity forecaster ABES show that in August this year, nearly $866 million worth of cotton was exported. And that's almost double the entire amount of cotton exported in 2020. Cotton Australia CEO Adam Kay says it's been a big season for the industry. 
the 2022 crop was the largest we've produced in Australia, probably about uh, 5.5, 5.6 million bales, which is about one and a quarter you know, million tonnes of cotton fibre. So a lot of cotton fibre. You know, to put that in perspective, that would put a you know, jeans, a shirt, jocks and socks on half a billion people. So, um, yeah, certainly Australian cotton is you know, helping clothe the world. So cotton set to be the third most valuable commodity. Is this surprising? What has led to this? Oh, look, I think um, it's, it's always been a, you know, a valuable crop and it's, that's why you know, a lot of irrigators choose to grow cotton because it gives the best return. I think it's just nice to see the stars align with some water and I know it's you know, there's too much water at the moment, but you know, to have actually water in storages and some good prices on offer, that's enabled you know, irrigated producers to take advantage of that. It obviously has had a huge increase, as we've seen, and it's potentially it was the drought that had an impact on previous seasons. But what about the flooding that we've had? Has that not actually had a, a bigger impact as we think it might have? Well, the flooding is probably having a bigger impact on the, the upcoming season, but certainly we've got a, a number of farmers that have been, you know, badly impacted. Look, there's a lot of people, you know, hurting out there. There's real impacts on their winter crop. Um, there are some producers that have still got some cotton to pick. There's still a little bit of cotton in the field. Um, so hopefully they can get onto that when things dry out. And there's also a lot of the round modules sitting in the field that haven't got to the gin yet. And hopefully they're going to be okay. We can get them to the gin and, uh, and get them processed. But we're also sort of seeing in some of the southern parts of the state, the planting window is closed. It's just getting too late for them to, to put cotton in. And, um, and in the northern part of the state, well, you know, we're just really hoping things can dry out so we can get a, a crack at, uh, at getting the crop in. And what countries are the biggest importers of Australian cotton? Well, since the soft ban from China uh, in 2020, China was taking 70% of our cotton. We've had to really move to expand some existing markets, find some new markets, and the Australian cotton shippers and Cotton Australia have been working hard on that. We've, you know, we've found that Vietnam has become our major market. It's taking about 40% of the cotton. Indonesia has really expanded. And then, you know, Thailand... Bangladesh, India, you know, we've got uh, a number of countries, there's about 17 countries ended up taking uh, Australian cotton, um, you know, this season. Oh gosh, so what is China's role now then? Well, it's going to be interesting to see if they do come back in the market. We, you know, we've obviously seen the last few days maybe a, a sort of a, a softening of their hardline stance and some dialogue opening. And, uh, you know, we, I guess we're hoping for that reset with, um, with a new Australian government, a reset of the relationship, and, and maybe we can um, start, you know, getting cotton back to China. But certainly, um, you know, there was plenty of life after China, and we've been very lucky to uh, be able to, uh, you know, sell all the crop in every year. Cotton Australia CEO Adam Kay speaking to Georgia Vaughan, 20 past 12. Shortly, an update from the ABC newsroom, just checking in on the main headlines today. And then a look at the weather right around Western Australia. Firstly, just talking about that relationship between Australia and China, Chief Economist at the University of Technology, Sydney, says that relationship is now back on track which could eventually reopen some export opportunities for agriculture. Tim Harcourt made the comments after last week's meeting between the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and Chinese President Xi Jinping, the first of its type for six years. Tim Harcourt says the meeting is a reason for optimism. 
It's a step in the right direction. And even allowing for COVID where no one met anyone, it's still a long time. Clearly, Australia had been frozen out before COVID. Uh, and then things got worse as the Morrison government called for an inquiry into the causes of COVID. And then we had some of the trade sanctions. So yeah, even with COVID, it's significant. It's been a long time. Is it about politics? The new Prime Minister and Xi Jinping can can say, uh, let's start talking again. Maybe let's have trade relaxation because we've it's uh, we're we're talking to a different political leader. It is an opportunity. I mean, it has happened with existing prime ministers before. For instance, uh, John Howard got off on the wrong foot with China's leadership, and he sat down with them and said, "Let's start again," and did. And then we had the LNG deal, which was a twenty-five billion dollar deal at the time. So even existing prime ministers can sit down with China and say, let's start again. But it's true that we had the election. And so I think China knew that was an opportunity. And I think Australia did as well. I think uh, the important thing is with China is that it's a global power and you've got to engage with China. You can't have a foreign policy or trade policy without them. But you don't have to do everything China says. And I don't think they expect us to. So I, I think what Albanese has done as prime minister is that he's shown China the right level of cordial respect, but he hasn't, uh, he hasn't one iota reduced Australia's you know, national sovereignty. He's been very clear that these are Australia's interests and important to stick to your guns on that. And same with your education, your universities, uh, your elections. You don't want any power involved in that at all. You know, even the Adelaide City Council elections, there was stories of you know, Chinese influence. You know, you, you really don't want that in your local institutions. This is about trade. This is about feeding the world, providing energy to Chinese consumers, providing them a quality education. It's not about getting entangled in each other's institutions. Now, the farm sector is saying, I mean, the, we haven't seen too many concerns about coal and iron ore. They still wanted to buy coal and iron ore because they can't buy it from anywhere else and they get a pretty pretty good deal from Australia. But they haven't been buying barley, they haven't been buying wine, they buy a bit of wheat on the sly. Is it a big game changer for agriculture? Look, you're right. I mean, China needs Australia. They've got food security issues. China needs Australia. They've got energy security issues. So coal, iron ore, gas, wool, they have to buy from us. So they really went after barley and lobsters and types of things that they didn't regard as super necessities, but there were still $20 billion worth of trade boycotts. But at the end of the day, I think they know uh, that Australia is a reliable agricultural supplier. And we've seen during the Russia-Ukraine standoff and war and the you know removal of Ukraine from the world trading system as farmers have got off their tractors and picked up rifles and so on, that Australia feeds the world. You know, we're one of the, with Argentina and a few others, we're one of the significant agricultural producers in the world. And China knows that. They know that countries like South Korea and Japan have food security issues. They're close to Australia. So uh, China needs Australia as an agricultural supplier. So we're sending in, you think we're going to be sending in more beef, more wheat, more maybe uh, barley will restart and wine will restart? I mean, how long do you think before there's a change? Look, I know the Qingdao Beer Festival in, in Shandong province relies on South Australian barley to make the beer. So right. they're not going to want to run out of beer at a beer festival. So I would imagine slowly we've already seen a relaxing of some of the boycotts, but that will just unravel now that Xi Jinping has met Anthony Albanese at the summit. China's just going to slowly ease out of that position that they had, you know, without losing face and without being seen as a back down, just 
slightly normalised relations. And on that theme, you're actually you're actually meeting with the Chinese ambassador. So is that a sign too that they want to talk to Australia? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been doing a, a, a TV series after the pandemic, The Bigger Picture, and uh, I talked to various Australian and Chinese farmers and business people, politicians, ambassadors, and so on. And I had a call into the Chinese ambassador for some time, and uh, I got a call last week saying it's on. So, and, and along with the Trade Minister Don Farrell from the Australian side. So, clearly, you know, there's a bit of a normalisation of, uh, of relations. And my, my show goes to everyone in China. You know, it's got a, a global audience of, you know, 460 million people. So. Oh, is that all? Is that all? Yeah, that's right. So, so clearly, he, you know, he wants to show that uh, he wants to engage. So, I think that's interesting that we're now seeing more engagement on the Chinese side. So it's not that we've neglected our friends and trading partners like South Korea and Japan. It's just that uh, a lot of energy has been put into China. And now you know, we can renew some of the very good ties that we have with you know, South Korea, Japan, ASEAN, India, and you know the emerging world, Latin America and, and, and the Middle East and, and so on. I think a lot of it's to do with, um, you know, if relations are good and you're friendly, well, you don't have to put that much time into it. But you can't just let it sort of drift. So I think and, that's what they're doing. And in a way, post the sort of fro- the sort of freezing of trade relations with China, it was an opportunity to cast a net more widely too when we found other markets for some of our produce. Yeah, look, we did with barley and we did with wheat. And of course, I mean, Russia-Ukraine war meant that there mm. was no Ukrainian wheat on the world market. So Australia's filled that gap. Australia's role you know, as an agricultural exporter, again, in helping the world with this global food crisis due to Ukraine not being in the world market. You know, I've heard of Australian wheat and barley and cereals in Yemen and Nigeria and Egypt and Indonesia and as well as in our traditional trading partners in Northeast Asia. So clearly Australian farmers have played a very important role in keeping the world food market going. So once you get a leg into those markets, uh, it, it might be something that you can we can build on for the future too and spread our risk a bit. Yeah, I think it allows us to form a beachhead in those markets and then we and we can grow them. Uh, we found that during the Asian financial crisis of 97 that we were able to get beachheads in different different markets and uh, of course, you know, Australia's high quality, our agriculture is very productive, our farmers are the most, you know, highest levels of productivity in the world. So once we're there, we tend to stick there. Chief Economist at the University of Technology, Sydney, Tim Harcourt, talking to Michael Condon. And Tim was formerly Chief Economist at Austrade. It is 28 past 12 here on the Country Hour and Herling Core is in the studio. What's keeping you busy this afternoon, Herling? Good afternoon, Belinda. Making news today, federal police have revealed five former terrorists are being monitored in the Australian community with another 20 offenders scheduled to be released within the next five years. An inquiry is examining a section of the criminal code which allows terrorists to continue to be detained after they have served their sentence. A man is due to face trial in WA Supreme Court next June, charged with the murder of a woman whose body was found after a house fire. Five officers found Stephanie Louise Robinson's body in a double-view home in January last year. 31-year-old Chichdia Pal has 
pleaded not guilty to murder on the grounds of unsoundness of mind. And a new heatwave warning system with three phases in line with the national bushfire alerts has been introduced in WA. A heatwave is a period of abnormally and uncomfortably hot weather that could impact health, infrastructure and services. The warning system has three levels from an advice to an emergency warning. There's more news coming up at one. Thank you so much for that, Helen. 29 past 12. This is the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. And it is so good to have you along this afternoon. Glad you could be here. Still to come between now and that news bulletin at one o'clock today, taking a look at the demand for alpacas. Running red hot at the moment to the point that one supplier here in WA has run out of stock. Also, just before one, off to Mushave for the results of the cattle market today. And right now, heading off to the Bureau of Meteorology, Caroline Crow with you this afternoon. And Caroline, is it true? Is this going to be a week of fine sunny days across the Southwest Land Division? Tell me. Oh, not not exactly fine and sunny days across the whole part of the Southwest Land Division. Today is actually going to be the most sunny uh, for the coming week. Um, currently, there is a, a ridge to the south of the state, and we've got a trough deepening down the west coast. Uh, now, over the next couple of days, that trough is going to continue to deepen. There's a mid-level uh, trough as well to the west, which is helping uh, this trough deepen. We're going to get a low in the trough and potentially get some showers and thunderstorms over the next couple of days. So we're going to see cloud increase and that risk of a thunderstorm. Um, so today, uh, the risk of the thunderstorm is through sort of northern parts of the central west district. So uh, Geraldton and uh, north uh, through that area there. Not a lot of rain associated with it though, so they're likely to be more dry thunderstorms and potentially some dry lightning out of it. And then as that trough deepens coming into Tuesday, we'll see those thunderstorms extend further south and reach uh, the south coast. So we're looking at the western half and central parts of the southwest land division all the way down to Albany. As that trough deepens as well, we will see continuing warming uh, through those western parts with temperatures increasing still about four to eight degrees above average for tomorrow. Now with the thunderstorms, uh, they're most likely going to be during the morning and uh, sorry, the afternoon and evening, but a little bit further south, south of Perth with the mid-level trough and the instability associated with that, we could see them continue um, overnight as well into Wednesday morning. So, yeah, and there is going to be a bit the chance of those thunderstorms. It could be cloudy as well associated with the thunderstorms. Coming into Wednesday morning, we're going to see the northern part of the trough inland from the coast and then from about Perth south, the trough is still sitting very close to the coast. So, as I kind of mentioned, that with the mid-level instabilities, potentially just going to keep those thunderstorms continuing sort of south of Perth along the coast uh, through that area there and also inland through the remaining part of the Southwest Land Division, if that makes sense. And then during the day on Wednesday, the trough's going to move inland further and we'll start gradually seeing it clear from the west coastal districts. And then coming into Thursday, the trough has moved east of the Southwest Land Division, so thunderstorms will have cleared. Um, however, we're going there's a weak front which is just going to brush the southwest corner. So just some light falls out of the uh, cold front as it moves through on Thursday, looking sort of from about Perth to Katanning through down to Bremer Bay, that area there. Um, light falls, as I mentioned, through that section. 
as it moves through. And then coming into Friday, we'll gradually start seeing a ridge develop and push through from the west through our west central part. Winds will still be onshore though, uh, south of that area there, so south of Lancelin area, and we'll still just see some onshore showers uh, through western and southern coastal districts into Friday. Wow. Okay, so there's still a bit on for some parts anyway, if you're under one of those thunderstorms with a little bit of rain in it. Just looking further ahead from the weekend, Caroline, I know it's, uh, you know, (laughs) a little bit early to be looking that far ahead, but what does it look like at this point? Yeah, it's... Gradually, with that ridge pushing through, it will gradually contract the showers sort of further south to the south coast. So coming into uh, Saturday still, it's onshore flow. So Perth down to um, that Bremer Bay area there, but mostly along the western south coast, uh, we could see a couple of showers about. And then coming into Sunday, it's really confined just to the south coast. Pretty light falls once again um, through that area there. And then on uh, Monday, the, the ridge looks as though it's going to be sort of right on the south coast or just south of. It's going to be onshore winds just along the coastal part. So you could pick up that odd shower. So gradually after... Um, Coming into Friday, once that ridge pushes through, we'll see a gradual trend of the showers pushing towards the south coast. All right. Thank you for that. And looking into northern and eastern parts, what can you see? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, quite intense thunderstorms through the Kimberley, uh, quite a heavy rainfall uh, out of some of them yesterday. Uh, several locations are, had it 75 mils or above. There was one location that had near 130 millimetres. And today they are continuing. There's a line at the moment uh, extending sort of from the northeast to the southwest from about Wyndham towards the Fitzroy crossing area, but not actually reaching Fitzroy Crossing and there was um, around the 60 millimetre mark in two hours at Mount Rob earlier today and other locations have already had sort of uh, from 9am this morning 25 to 35 millimetres. So uh, continuing to showers and thunderstorms through the Kimberley and that is is extending into eastern parts of the Pilbara and northern parts of the north interior as well. It's quite a bit of cloud extending through remaining part or central and uh, the remaining eastern parts of the Pilbara into the interior and southwest, um, so, sorry, north northeast of the south interior, um, which is potentially bringing a, a light shower. Um, it's pretty dry through those areas there, though, so it's unlikely probably to be reaching the ground at this point in time. And that cloud band's kind of going to be there for the remainder of the week as well. But as that trough deepens down the west coast, it's going to connect up with the trough that's in the Kimberley and we'll see um, showers and thunderstorms extending all the way from the Kimberley into uh, central parts of the Pilbara, down into the Gascoyne and into the gold fields uh, by Wednesday. And then as that trough moves east, we'll see a gradual contraction of it um, further east and clearing from the west. So by Thursday, um, the showers and thunderstorms will be mostly confined to the Kimberley, the eastern parts of the Pilbara, just the far northeast of the Gascoyne, clearing the gold fields um, into the interior and then contracting even that little bit further east on Friday. And then the warnings this afternoon? Yeah, so currently at the moment we just have the marine wind warning uh, for the Geraldton Coast and Lancelin Coast. For today, coming into tomorrow, there's a strong wind warning for the Pilbara Coast East uh, in the onshore, uh, sorry, the easterly winds in the morning. Uh, they will be quite fresh and gusty. Um, and I should, I will just also mention that with the trough deepening down the west coast and uh, those warming temperatures, and it 
potentially will be uh, some fresh and gusty winds in the morning through west coastal parts and northern parts of the southwest land division. So we could see some elevated fire danger ratings through that area there, mostly in um, the central west district and northwestern parts of the central wheat belt. Um, so there's um, the chance of seeing a fire weather warning issued this afternoon for tomorrow for that area. All right. Well, we watch that one. Thank you so much, Caroline. Appreciate that. 23 to 1. Richard Hudson is here now. And Richard, you'll go through the rainfall figures in just a tick. Firstly, some harvest ban information. Yeah, not a normal one. It's just the Shire of Carnamar has put a ban on harvesting and off-road activity in paddocks and bushland just for the eastern sector of the Shire. So that ban was put in place at 11.30 this morning and that was due to a fire in that area and they're going to review it in around about 20-odd minutes at 1 o'clock. If you need clarification on that, just go to the Carnamar Shire website or give them a call. But, uh, yeah, in the last 72 hours, in other words, from 9am Friday right through to 9am today, in the northern and eastern forecast districts, again, most of the rain was in the Kimberley, Bedford Downs Airstrip 41, Camballan 57, Curtin Airport 22, Debisa 13, Derby Airport 34 and the main roads 37, Drysdale River Station 12, Faraway Bay 21, Fitzroy Crossing 41, Flora Valley 9, Fossil Down 16, Gibb River 23, Halls Creek 24, Kachana 9, Columbaroo 25, Cunanara Airport 7, Lake Argyle Resort 13, Lansdowne 18, Leopold Downs 13, Margaret River Airstrip 15, Marion Downs 9, Mullabulla Airstrip 6, Mount Amherst 33, Mount Barnett 12, Mount Krause topped it with 91, Mount Winifred 29, Morida 41, Napier Downs Downs 9, Old Mornington Homestead 39, Siddons Creek 10, Theta 49, Trouton Island 10, Truscott 34, Udiella 10, Warman 21, Winjana Gorge 7, Yampi Sound 71 and Yulumbu 19. In the Gascoigne, Mount Gibson had six. In the interior, no rainfall recorded. In the goldfields, Kalgoorlie Boulder topped it with four. And out in the Euclid district, Air recorded 10 and Red Rocks Point 20. No rainfall out on the islands and no rain recorded in the Pilbara in the last 72 hours either. But some decent rain has fallen in the Pilbara recently and at some properties are actually looking very, very green. Colin Briley is at Indy Station just south of Port Hedland and he says it's probably the best he's ever seen the property and he's been there for almost 60 years. Yeah, it's as green as... I've never seen it as green as this in November. Yeah, it's been a good year. Do you know how much rain you had? No, not offhand. I I know we had uh, six or so inches in uh, May, so we probably had about 10 or 12 inches, something like that. What would your average be? They used to think it was 12, but it's gone up. We'd probably get about 16 inches a year as a rule nowadays. So not necessarily the most rain you've had for the year, but it's been pretty spread out and and through the winter as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it's winter rain, and that's the one that's um, probably the best. Usually we get big rains in the summer, and uh, then it dries off to a certain extent, but anyway... How, how does it feel looking around the place to see it's so green in November? Oh, yeah, it looks marvellous. Yeah. Cattle look well and, uh, yeah, no, good. 
It's nice to hear, isn't it? Sounds like that rain was beautifully timed. Indy Station's Colin Briley chatting with Michelle Stanley and that estimated average annual rainfall he's talking about, which he re- reckons is the average now, he said 16 inches. So in the metric terms, that's uh, around about 400 millimetres. But yeah, as he mentioned, the timing is uh, is all important. Uh, in the southwest Land Division forecast districts, in the central west, a little bit around, lots of ones to fours, but the only ones above that were Canterbury and Manara both had six. New Norcia had six to seven mils. Then in the lower west, there was a bit more. Ancatel, five. Bindoon, eight. Bungandore, Chidlow and Dwelling Up all recorded five. Gidjiganup, eight. Glen Eagle, seven. Huntley, nine. Lake Chittering, five. Carragulla North, Minston Park and Mulyabini all recorded six. Moondar Brook, five. Mount Solus, seven. Pinjarra had seven to eight mils across two locations. Waruna had seven to eight as well. And then in the southwest, Aldervale, ten. Bailing up, seven. Beetle up, 26. Bridgetown, 12. Cape Lewin, five. Carlotta, 18. Chapman Hill, five. Collie and Kawaram up, six. Dinan up, 11. Donnybrook East, five. Four Acres, 16. Carriedale, five. Manjum up, 18. Margaret River, seven. Mayan up south, eight. Millian up, nine. Mile up, six. Nanup recorded 13 mils. Newlands and Northcliffe, five. Pemberton, nine. Perryvale Orchard, 11. Quinnan up, 10. Ravenscliff Alert Station, 10. Rosabrook and Shannon, five. Tonebridge and Warner Glen, seven. Walpole Forestry, nine. Will Garrup, 22. Willie Abrup, seven. And Yanmar, 19. Then in the southern coastal region, there was a bit as well. Albany, 15 to 18. Amalup, five. Beaumont West, 10. Bremer Bay, 25. Chesalon, seven. Shane Beach, 14. Chillin up, six. Dalyup Park, 15. Denbarker, 14. Denmark, 17. Erin Air, 29. Esperance had 20 to 26 mils. And as you heard, some hail on Friday Arvo. Gardner, 7. Hill Plains, 11. Hopeton had 9 to 12 mils. Inglebourne, 5. Jacob, 10. Jerramungup, 5. King River, 16. Many Peaks, 11. Metla, 6. Mount Barker, 15 over four days. Mount... Uh, Barker at the Deep Herd Station only had nine, though. Mount Howick, 24. Munglin up, 8 to 13. Oakmarsh Farm, 23. Pleasant Valley, 31. Ravensthorpe, 11 to 8, over 11 mils over eight days. Salmon Gums Research Station, 7. Stirlings North, 5. And Stirling South, beat you with eight. Tamar, 14. Talina Downs, 28. The Duke, 16. Warrajarra, 5. Westlaut River, 14. In the central wheat belt, lots of places had between one and four, but the only ones above that were Kulyanobbing with five, Noongar with eight, and then in the Great Southern region, Badgebup had seven, Burralee, six mils over four days, Boscobel and Brookton, five, Chaming Up, seven over four days, Coondi, seven, Quartering, six, Corrigan, five over five days, Cranbrook, ten mils, Cranham, eight over four days, Hyden, six, Lake King had seven, Maradong, six, Snarrigan, five, Quail Up and Riverdale both recorded five, and Wickerpen North and Williams North uh, both recorded six mils. Uh, and Richard, you were out and about over the weekend. You were at uh, Scott River. What were you up to? Yeah, so down in the southwest, not too far away from Augusta Way, sort of dairy country, dairy and beef country. It was the 10th Scott River Charity Ball. So they have it about every three years, well, exactly every three years. 
sit-down, formal dinner, and it's a charity fundraiser. So they raise money for the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and this year it was also contributing some money to some local mental health initiatives, mainly targeting the young people. It was an awesome gathering. Lots of all sorts of different ages, and people came from all over the place, not just from that area, but they came from different industries, and some came from sort of Bunbury or Perth or whatever. But the, great music, great fires, great banter, and some magnificent auction activity as well. So, how many people turned up? They reckon there was 380, and I think in a lot of ways it was probably a record, probably their biggest. A brand new shed, by the way, that was built. It was on the Dunnett's farm. They've been in beef for a lot of years, and I think the son built the majority of the, the shed. I think it's a dual purpose now. It'll be for the ball, but also to store the hay underneath. But uh, there were so many auction items, which means so many people donated heaps of things, and a lot of money was raised. They conveniently have the auction late at night when everyone's had a few, which is pretty sly tactics. <laughs> they reckon they raised about 70 grand. So as I say, it's run every three years. So it's been going for 30 years. This is the 10th the, the one they've had. In that time, they reckon they've raised about $280,000, again, mainly for the RFDA, RFDS. So well done to all the volunteers. There were lots of them. I think there were 12 on the night. The main ones, though, are worth a special mention. Debbie Legg, Kerry Dunnett and Emma Pinnock, I think, did the majority of the work. So, yeah, awesome effort. And just a small apology from my wardrobe department. I wasn't quite as well dressed for this formal dinner as I would have hoped to have been. I uh, took my suit, little case that you, you have in your wardrobe, I popped it in the car went down and uh, pulled it out of the car and there was certainly a suit in there. It just wasn't the one I intended to wear. It was my jacket from when I was at school and underneath that was all my old footy jumpers. So I <laughs> contemplated putting one of those on for the evening. But So, yeah, it wasn't quite as, uh, as dolled up as what I probably should have been. The anyway. thought did cross my mind when you said it was a ball and I was thinking, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> what would I have worn? Mm. <laughs> Even my best isn't that flash. <laughs> Uh, thanks for that, Richard. It's 14 to 1 here on the Country Hour and off to Mouchet shortly and we'll go through the details, the yarding and the prices at the cattle market today. First though, a civil construction company based in the city of Bustleton is calling on farmers in the region to help with a looming shortage of sand. Lisa Winpanasco owns Lewin Civil and says in the last year the cost of sand in the southwest has almost doubled from six to ten dollars a ton. And she says some farmers in the region are helping to address the shortage. It actually it's a pretty advantageous relationship for both of us. So any farmers out there who have properties with lovely big uh, brown dead patches at this time of year, um, there's every chance that you've got a lot of sand or gravel underneath that um, little, if you've got any topsoil there, a little bit of topsoil. So what would happen is if, you know, if we were lucky enough to get access to that material and to get a development application approved, we would shift the topsoil off, mine out the sand, which isn't good for growing pastures in. Farmers would have to pump a fair bit of fertiliser in there to you know, get a decent pasture. Once we've taken the sand out, we can put the topsoil back. There's less distance for them to you know, get, to a, get to the groundwater or get to a better soil matrix. They're left with better pasture. We're paying them per tonne of sand that we've extracted from their property. 
you know, we're able to get access to that resource, you know, we're able to, you know, can use it for our jobs or sell it for other jobs. It really, it really works out for both us and the farmer. Have you got examples of property where you have mined sand from and now there's livestock existing there quite happily? Uh, yeah, actually we do. We've been really lucky we've had a great relationship um we aim to have great relationships with the farms that we work with but there's one we've taken sand and gravel off his property for over 10 years now and so the first stage that's been mined and returned back to pasture for several years now and so it's he's cutting hay off it every year running livestock off it in the meantime getting a really good return off that section whereas before it was nothing to him so the great thing as a farmer it's like okay if you you know your farm isn't generating the income you want you'll get an income from the royalties of the sand and in the meantime you know support the local economy and at the end of it you've got if it's correctly done well rehabilitated farmland that you you will have to spend less on your fertiliser you will get a better return from your pasture you know hopefully run more livestock. Up farmer and owner of Lewin Civil, Lisa Wipanasco, and she was talking to Georgia Hargreaves about why the cost of sand has doubled in the last 12 months. So not great news if you're trying to build a house because obviously you need that sand to um, get the pad organised. If you want to read more, you can find the story. It's online now. Georgia's story is there. Just search for Sand Prices ABC to have a read through. Ten minutes to one. You're with Belinda Varischetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio, WA. Do you know there's so much interest in alpacas from hobby farmers that one Western Australian supplier has run out of stock? Brett Fallon runs alpacas on his Albany property near WA's south coast and is president of the Australian Alpaca Association. He says there's certainly been a lot of demand for the animal that has a reputation for being the cutest livestock protector in the world. We've had another really full-on year with sales. Lots of um, lots of the public interested in hobbyists getting into alpacas as a starter kind of small business. Is that where most of your alpacas have gone this year? Yeah, uh, the, between uh, small landholders and then also farmers with sheep looking to protect their their lambs from foxes. Is that usually where you get most of your attraction? Uh, I guess it's a component of that and then stud sales as well, but the, the volume are going either for protecting lambs and goats, like I said. Uh, there's some small hobbyist kind of landholders and then there's also a small meat market. And have you seen a change in demand in any of those three sections? Yeah, well, definitely the small landholders. I think possibly there's more... Um, of those and they've had over the last few years a stronger demand for alpacas as a kind of a paddock companion. And what has that done to prices? Definitely more buoyant than where it's been for the last um, yeah, few years before that. So for instance I, I don't have any available, they've all gone and readily awaiting a, another drop of crea in the next few months. And so do you think this will be a continuous trend in the future? I think WA's got a positive future for alpacas. I think uh, when people start to realise the premium they can get for the fibre as well, then, then it could really turn around and we could get a more balanced approach of hobbyists and uh, farmers for fibre production. How much does an alpaca go for these days to a hobbyist? Oh, 
I guess an average would be six to eight hundred dollars. Uh, and then you get to some that are a little bit more uh, special in colour or unique and you'll be surprised what uh, what some people are willing to do to get something that's a bit different to, to their neighbours. And would you say most of your revenue this year has come from the hobbyists? Yeah, this year it's been a bit, bit different. So usually I would be selling a large proportion of guards with those animals that I've decided aren't, aren't going to continue in the stud, but... But this year, yeah, most have gone off as um, as hobbyist companion animals. Yeah. And why do you think there has been an increased demand from the hobbyists? I think there's possibly more hobby um, land holdings, so like subdivision through, you know, the Perth areas particularly in the Peel region. There's quite a few um, additional land holdings. Um, I think there was definitely a trend and continues to be a trend where people from the cities are moving to the country and then just that uh, unique appeal about alpacas so the the ability to have a couple of alpacas or they're pretty low maintenance they're pretty easy to look after Uh, so I think compared to some of the other animals they could have in their small land holding to keep the grass down and I think that's possibly where that demand's coming from. Do you usually sell out by this time of year? Well, shearing time, I like to I like to have a pretty ship-shaped farm, not too many extras. So, I wouldn't say sell out, but this year, yeah, I ran out well well earlier where I normally would, and yeah, nothing on the horizon. Otherwise, I won't have any alpacas left, so I have to have to keep some. <laughs> <laughs> and so, do you breed them yourself, or do you get most of them in? Uh, no, so I have roughly 120 breeders dropping so Korea dropping a year no I, I don't I don't trade in them I just breed my own and yeah sell off the ones that I've decided that aren't ideal for a stud and fibre market when will you get your next load of them come in yeah so they're due kind of now and then through the summer period because I'm in Albany so it's uh, a nice time of year to have babies down here born so I'll be finished by around April and then they're weaned at five to six months of age and that's when, um, yeah, they'd be more available. But there's quite a few, like, it's really positive to see the number of breeders still in the Albany region. So I would expect that as, as the, um, the season progresses, there'll become more alpacas available. But, yeah, but it is an interesting, interesting time for the alpaca industry in WA. Do you think you'll try and breed more alpacas based on the demand that you've had this year? <laughs> uh, probably not. I'm I'm pretty set in my ways. I, I it's not my full time occupation, so I, I like to keep my numbers at about 200 and and my farming life uh, balanced. So no, <laughs> even though it is tempting, uh, no, I'll, I'll stick to what I've got. So what got you into alpacas in the first place? Look at them. They're pretty cute. um no 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 it was it was around that i didn't have large land holding and never was going to have large land holding like if you look at the value of farm and so uh i was 16 at the time living in perth and i was like oh i could have a couple of alpacas and adjust them on another property and then as i um kept uh going and my herd increased in size i leased land for a while and then eventually bought myself a small land holding down here. Brett Fallon, he's from Albany Alpaca Farms. He's also the president of the Australian Alpaca Association and clearly by the sound of that, he also has an interest in roosters. 
They're pretty noisy in the background, weren't they? And Brett was catching up with Sophie Johnson. It is four minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Very shortly, off to Mushay for the results of the cattle market. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today. The government pushes ahead with its industrial relations reforms despite criticism from employers. The FIFA World Cup is underway. Is it a chance to repair Qatar's human rights reputation or will it backfire? And the Darling River is expected to peak today at the outback town of Burke. Local officials are hopeful that the levee bank and sandbags will keep residents safe. Those stories are more coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. It is not far away at three minutes to one. So news first and then off to The World Today. Right now it is off to Muche to get the results of today's cattle sale for you. Terry Birkin is there keeping an eye on everything for you. Hi, Terry. How did it go today? Hi, Belinda. A jump in numbers this week by 637 with 2,114 live weight and 121 calves. Quality overall was lifted today by local cattle, being more prominent with some excellent lines of both young Angus cattle and Angus cows. Although the usual field of buyers are active, local veal steers and heifers were down 20 to 30 cents, while yelling and growing cattle were firm. Villa steers returned 400 cents to 570 cents and Villa heifers made from 320 cents to 578 cents per kilo. Local yearly steers to restockers and feeders selling from 340 cents up to 528 cents for the better types, while local yearling heifers sold up to 454 cents a kilo. Grown steers returned 258 cents to 430 cents and local grown heifers sold from 280 cents to 410 cents a kilo. Lightweight cows were making $1.40 to $0.200, cents. medium cows selling up to $0.240, cents, while heavy cows returned up to $0.290 cents per kilo. However, the cow price may improve as there are still some very good lines of Angus cows to sell as the sale continues after this report. Mature heavy bulls returned up to $0.252 cents, and pastoral shipping bulls sold from $0.220 cents up to $0.582 cents for the lighter weights. This has been Terry Birkin from Meat and Livestock Australia's National Reporting Service. Thank you very much for that, Terry. Terry, back tomorrow and at Mouchet for the results of the sheep sale for you. It's about a minute and a bit away from the news at one. And the CBH Group, the state's main grain handler, has just put out its harvest update for you. And as you well know, several rain events across the state this week has slowed down the rate of harvest deliveries. And CBH says it's now received 1.4 million tonnes um, just in the last week, which takes total deliveries to 3.9 million tonnes compared to a total of 4.7 million tonnes this time last year. So obviously a little bit of a a delay there, about a million tonnes or whatever, uh, behind where it was this time last year. And CBH says that uh, some growers are reporting yields higher than expected and protein in the northern part of the state is also higher than expected at this stage, which is, you know, great news. But CBH says it does uh, anticipate that this will place some pressure on some sites and services across the network with some sites expected to fill and close. So just repeating, now received in total, the harvest so far, 3.9 million tonnes. Great to talk to you today. Time for the news, one o'clock.